The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Sportbox. Your headlines, the stakes are high for Deutsche Bank as Germany's largest bank reports earnings with investors focusing on provision levels and trading revenues. We're going to hear from the CFO, James Van Moltke. That will be 8CET for that conversation. Microsoft earnings beat across the board, but shares moved lower in extended trade as the tech titans' revenue guidance disappointed investors. Cheers for Carlsberg. The Danish brewer tops earnings forecasts as strong sales in China and Russia support a pickup in demand over summer when lockdown measures eased. And for the first time, President Trump admits there will be no stimulus deal before the election, blaming top Democrats for disrupting the aid talks. Nancy Pelosi is only interested in bailing out badly run, crime-ridden Democrat cities and states. That's all she's interested in. She's not interested in helping the people. Well, after the election, we'll get the best stimulus package you've ever seen. So a very warm welcome to the programme and we kick off the programme with a look at the Deutsche Bank numbers here which are just trickling in as uh, we speak with you. So the group says, uh, quote, the transformation is on track. Uh, the group has given us a net revenue line for the third quarter of 5.9 billion euros. Uh, the uh, bank uh, says provision for credit losses in at 273 million euros, which is... Uh, um, relatively low compared to what we've seen in previous periods. The group says uh, reaffirmed guidance of full year provision for credit losses, which is very encouraging and in line with a, a lot of what we're hearing from the banks, that in fact they feel that the worst of the credit loss provisioning may actually be behind us now. Fixed sales and trading revenues, 1.8 billion. Uh, the group says, with regard to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, downside risks have materially increased year to date. The uh, net result attributable to shareholders, 182 million euros. Um, the negative impact on our business environment could fluctuate significantly and adversely affect our business. Um, so we're getting that kind of coda, I think, from all the financial organisations here, just to express concern around the outlook, given that we clearly do not have COVID infections under control. The group, let me give you a few other lines here, revenues for the group expected to be essentially flat then in 2020, but IB revenue significantly higher for the full year of 2020 compared to the prior year. And I think that just reflects the pickup in uh, capital market activity we've seen over the uh, year to date. And clearly that has benefited Deutsche Bank through the third quarter here. In fact, any banks that have had exposure to capital market business through IB or markets and trading have actually done better through this period. As we know, there's been an uptick in volatility around COVID. So in the round, actually, I think 
think the numbers here don't look too bad, given that uh, over the uh, previous quarter, we actually had a reported loss mm. for Deutsche Bank. Now, obviously, the, um, uh, the, the juice will be in the detail as to what uh, we get around the guidance from the CFO and the management team here. Unfortunately, Annetta is sitting down with the CFO, so we'll hear a little bit more about that yeah. later on in the morning. I just want to pick up on a couple of lines. One line in particular for me from Deutsche Bank, uh, where they say they're on track to meet all financial and strategic targets related to its transformation plan. Because mm. I think that's key. We saw that huge change launched back in July last year, where effectively they're closing key trading desks around the globe and really shrinking the operations. And then we, we got about March, uh, in the middle of the pandemic this year, and investors were questioning whether the transformation was still on track. And mm. the executives themselves were going back to square one, looking right back over those targets, thinking a lot of it was a little bit too optimistic, but effectively they needed everything to go right to hit some of these targets. And clearly this was not a year for corporates where everything went right. It was just the opposite. Every went, everything went wrong, effectively, at the start of this year. So the, to hear these comments now as we mm. move towards the end of this year, that that transformation is still on track, I think that's going to be quite soothing for some of the analysts who had questions about that. Also, just in terms of the commentary around what they see as a downside risk from protracted uh, periods of uh, waves of COVID-19 infections, I think that's key because we are setting up here in Europe for a day. We're expected to hear from leaders in Germany and France about the impact of very severe lockdowns now to, to battle the second wave of infections. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think the one line here that may get a lot of attention when it comes to the analyst call is just around uh, liquidity and uh, guidance on uh, the CET1 ratio. I think there is a line here where they uh, say that uh, it is possible that we will fall below our CET1 target of at least 12.5% in upcoming periods. And they also talk about the future uh, risk from waves of COVID-19 and a deeper and more protracted economic recession potentially putting pressure on liquidity metrics uh, during the remainder of this year here. Now, that will be a little bit of a duff note because I think everybody wants to hear through this period that you've got deep pockets, deep liquidity and a very robust balance sheet, which is not to say that that isn't the case here and 12.5% is decent on a CET1 ratio. But obviously the fact that they are pointing to it and flagging it, I think will elicit some questions from the analysts in the call. Um, you want to come in, Juliana? Jeff, I would come off, come in on the back of your point now about liquidity and even the fact that Deutsche is linking this so tightly to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is just a reminder of how much of a play on the reopening trade the banks in Europe are. So Deutsche is saying that the risk of future waves of COVID-19 and a deeper and more protracted economic recession may put pressure on liquidity metrics throughout the rest of the year. The entire banking sector is certainly linked to the COVID crisis. And this is now Deutsche saying that not only are they affected from a rates perspective and the negative hit that low negative rates have had on their business, but also from a liquidity perspective. Now, if we look, if we're looking at a more dire uh, pandemic situation, that part of the outlook I'm likely to keep these shares constrained alongside the rest of the European banking sector.
Absolutely. I think that's a terrific point and one that's just worth reiterating at this stage. So just to sum it up here, Deutsche Bank then back in profit for the third quarter. But of course, some lines around COVID that suggests the bank is very wary about sounding too enthusiastic about the outlook. Uh, The CFO, James Van Moltke, will join us from 8CET. And we look forward to hearing what he's got to say about the ongoing transformation that's underway over at Deutsche Bank. We've got a couple of lines now crossing from Sony. Uh, this is a stock that's not performed too badly over the course of the year. 11% uh, jump so far year to date. And of course, lots of anticipation around new devices, the PlayStation 5, for instance. But let's just get into the six-month numbers uh, for the first half. Net profit at uh, 692.89 billion yen. That is plus 103-odd percent. It is uh, forecast a profit for 2020-21. That should be higher by 37.4%. So uh, Seeing some uh, bright spots ahead is what uh, is coming through in those net profit lines. The operating profit uh, is up 7.1%. It's also uh, forecasting, though, uh, a fall in that line by 17% for the year ahead. Pre-tax profit uh, is at 619.5 billion, that is plus 25% over the course of the year. Expects that to be minus 4.3%. It has raised its dividend uh, for the second quarter, and often that we get to say that at this point in time, mm. uh, 25 uh, yen versus uh, 20 previously. So uh, that payout to shareholders is going up, and I think uh, certainly some bright spots as we rake through the numbers. But a lot of the commentary is going to be around this demand for the place. PlayStation 5. We're hearing that in the the first 12 hours, they've taken uh, as many orders uh, in the US as they did for the first 12 weeks when the PS4 went on sale. Wow. I mean, it's it's interesting because I know we're going to move on to Microsoft in just a minute. And there is a clear line across from both of these businesses, which is the focus on gaming. And I think what we heard from Microsoft already was that gaming remains incredibly strong. And I guess if you are locked away inside your apartment or your house with not a lot to do, gaming is one outlet which is a diversion from COVID here. So Sony actually hasn't had a a bad few months, particularly around the gaming business. But of course, there are other divisions that have some challenges because of the COVID lockdown. Right. You know, when it comes to gaming, though, I think many of us thought there'd be some form of disruption from streaming of gaming services. Mm. But we're not at that point at this stage, it seems. You know, you've got a device that's going to cost about $500 or £450, no matter where you are, for the standard edition, a little bit less for the digital edition. But it seems that people are still willing to fork out for these hard uh, hardware consoles, which I think if you've been to any tech event, you thought was not going to happen yeah. <laughs> at this I- point. I mean, the only thing I would throw in, and I think it's the obvious point to make at this stage, I am not a gamer, so I take a particular view, but how much longer does lockdown continue to flatter the sales of the gaming companies? When we come through the other side, I mean, I was watching all the news reports from Victoria, um, Australia, your home, and people have been flocking to the restaurants, to the pubs and to the bars because they've had this intensive Uh, lockdown in uh, Victoria and people are just desperate to get out of their houses and go and do something else so if we get the vaccine if we move on what does it ultimately mean for these uh, uh, gaming box sales? Right across to Europe um, Melbourne Victoria in particular uh, you know very European culture if you talk about various Australian cities some are a little bit more like the United States for instance Sydney it's a bit more like LA in terms of getting out and exercising but Melbourne Mm. is much more like a European city where people go out to bars and restaurants and and cafes and socialise. 
Thank God for that. <laughs> um, Juliana, over to you. Thanks very much, guys. Well, Jeff, you mentioned the gaming success of Microsoft yesterday. Let me just give you the overall numbers that we got from Microsoft. Shares dipped as much as 2% in extended trade after the tech giant warned headwinds from the pandemic may lead to lower than expected revenue for the remainder of the year. Quarterly earnings, however, beat estimates due to strong demand from Microsoft's Azure cloud business. Overall revenue jumped 12% to $37 billion, with cloud services soaring 48% year-on-year. Microsoft's networking platform LinkedIn and its gaming unit were also among the top performers. Microsoft's search revenues declined, which could spell bad news for rival Google. You can read all about it on CNBC.com. Okay? Still to come then, uh, President Trump hits out at Democrats as he admits a new stimulus deal will not be passed until after next week's vote. For more on the countdown to the U.S. election and what you can expect, check out the Sportbox podcast right now. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Protests broke out for a second night in Philadelphia over the police killing of a black man. Some demonstrations turned violent with vandalism and looting reported in the city. 27-year-old Walter Wallace was shot and killed on Monday after police say he ignored orders to drop a knife. His family says he was suffering from mental health issues. President Trump says a massive new coronavirus relief package will not be passed until after the election. This is White House officials and congressional Democrats traded blame for the impasse on negotiations. Trump claimed lawmakers have not been able to resolve key differences around support for state and local governments. I'll always talk about it because our people should get it. Yeah, our people should get it, the stimulus. But Nancy Pelosi is only interested in bailing out badly run, crime-ridden Democrat cities and states. That's all she's interested in. She's not interested in helping the people. Well, after the election, we'll get the best stimulus package you've ever seen. Let's take a look at some of that U.S. market action where we saw a decline for the Dow reversal over the course of the session, trading down eight-tenths of a percent, the S&P going with it. But it was an outsized performance for technology stocks as we saw investors are positioning again around this hot sector of the markets. The Nasdaq, as a result, bouncing six-tenths of a percent. So fairly split picture playing out. In terms of what it now means for the month for the Dow, we're tracking a weaker by just over one percent. So a modest decline is what we witnessed. But at the same point, we're still weighing up the same elements. So 
investors counting down to the U.S. election, They're looking at how close some of the swing states will be for Trump versus Biden, these battleground states. And this blue wave positioning this in the markets, just coming back a little bit with some volatility in the mix as investors certainly don't want to be caught out again. So the VIX, which has been trading on a two-month high, just reflected in some of these trades that you're witnessing on the markets. Not to mention early hours too, investors closely eyeing developments out of Europe and whether a national lockdown will be required to try and tame the virus. In particular, we're talking about France and a lockdown light in Germany. So the market are very wary about these restrictions and what they could do to GDP. Uh, in terms of what we're seeing on those tech numbers, let's take a look at the big tech players. And you can see right across the boards, we had a bounce. Amazon, the strong one, 2.4% to the upside. Salesforce, 3.4%. Uh, and Twitter rallying 4.6. Very strong numbers on the boards. Microsoft out with earnings after the bell. And uh, revenue numbers of the outlook on revenue, a little bit disappointing despite the overall numbers being strong. That stock was up 1.5% in session. But of course, a solid week as we're looking for tech reports from a number of these big major companies. Uh, the contrast though, take a look at Boeing, Caterpillar, 3M. These are weak spots of the market. Uh, Boeing in particular, investors again eyeing uh, quarterly earnings, some concerns about what we could see because of the, the pandemic and the demand for aircraft, uh, the problems also witnessed uh, with one of its major aircraft. So investors very, very cautious there. Caterpillar, its numbers are uh, beating expectations, but still tracking lower. And you can see uh, 3M as well, down 3%, uh, the range for these stocks. In terms of the Asian markets, picking up on uh, some of these cues from Wall Street, you can see it's also patchy old session playing out got green splashing up for the Chinese markets, for Hong Kong and Australia, which had a very weak session yesterday, clawing back about a tenth of a percent. Japanese stocks, by comparison, trading weaker, shedding about a third of a percent. But there's a little bit of safe haven buying going back into the Japanese yen, which often provides a bit of a headwind for that stock market. In terms of the opening calls, this is how we perched for the European trading session. It looks weak at this stage. And we saw in the Stocks Europe 600 yesterday a slump of almost 1%. That was a six negative session uh, out of seven. And it suggests uh, more selling is about to hit today. In terms of what we had on the individual markets, FTSE was down about... Uh, one plus percent, a little bit less off the DAX, but consistently weaker across the board, a little bit more off the French market in session yesterday, 1.7% lower. So what we're looking at, a uh, very weak trading pattern for these stocks here in Europe today. In terms of the U.S. futures, I mentioned some of those concerns, and it really just boils back to what could be required around coronavirus lockdowns. And you can see futures in the United States are picking up on some of those themes as well. The one catalyst uh, some investors have been hoping for to propel markets forward in the form of U.S. stimulus, that seems to not be forthcoming at this stage. And uh, Trump pouring cold water on those expectations before the election, Jeff. Thanks very much, Karen. Let's bring in Hugh Gimber, Global Market Strategist, JP Morgan Asset Management. Hugh, very good morning to you. Look, we've had um, uh, Deutsche Bank numbers at the top here, uh, back in profit, um, some really good figures, investment banking revenue up 43%. We had HSBC yesterday. I think that was a little better than the market expectations. In fact, we've had a blush of better banking numbers for this third quarter. And yet you don't get the sense that the market at this point is willing to re-rate European banks. Why not? Well, good morning, Jeff. I, I think to your question, really what investors are weighing up here is some of the positive news that we now have in the bank from Q3 earnings season against the prospect for a deterioration in the outlook for the pandemic, quite simply. And so it feels to me like when we're looking at Q3 numbers today, they already feel like they're quite a long way back in the past. 
uh, and that really now the key factors driving markets are going to be progress in controlling this new wave of the pandemic and the potential news on um, vaccine trial results that we could be expecting at any point really over the next couple of weeks. So I think it's understandable in that context that some stocks are perhaps not getting the rewards that you may have seen in previous earnings quarters, given how just simply long ago Q3 now feels. So in in your interpretation of that, then, as long as we remain in limbo around higher infection rates and a lack of a vaccine on the horizon, we will continue to see underperformance around better earnings numbers. So, I mean, I think that's clearly what we've seen so far. Now, if you take a a sector such as the banks, clearly there is some optimism in those numbers. Uh, I mean, if I think sort of breaking down why the banks have struggled so far this year, Really, it's three factors. You've got the interest rate outlook pressuring profitability. You've got the concerns that investors have around the need for large loan loss provisions. And then you have some of the challenges, particularly in Europe, around returning capital to shareholders. And now if I break down those three factors, I think you can see that the rate outlook still looks pretty difficult for the banks. But we've had progress on loan losses and capital return um, prospects from uh, across the European banking sector, really, over the past couple of weeks. So that, to me, suggests that the outlook is starting to become clearer and that you can start to line up some of the catalysts for rotation in the market towards some of the more beaten-up sectors that we've had so far this year. But until you're confident that you know the outlook for the pandemic is looking more straightforward, I think you're going to struggle to see that rotation really take hold. Hugh, as we continue the conversation around growth versus value in the markets, we had a first glimpse at one of the big tech players yesterday, Microsoft. The numbers were were solid. We certainly saw that the pivot towards remote working, cloud services, uh, the use of Teams, the the video platform, and some gaming on the entertainment side. But the market forecasts for the next quarter were not as strong as expected, and it was record-breaking sales that they're anticipating in the current quarter. What do you make of the pricing around technology and what we're hearing from Microsoft? Microsoft and what that says about this value versus growth debate. Yes, yeah, so I think really what the, the market reaction is telling you is that now banking big earnings numbers for Q3 for the tech giants is simply not good enough. I think that is already fairly well assumed in market prices. And so when analysts are looking through the earnings data coming from the, the tech giants over the next week or so, I think they're going to want to see First of all, that the revenues are sufficiently diverse to ensure that this sort of outsized earnings delivery can continue, regardless of the state of the world that we're looking at over the next three to six months, regardless of progress on a vaccine or not. And secondly, it's about market share. Um, And the online giants that have won market share this year can hold on to that, again, regardless of the state of the world that we're, we're looking at over the next six months. It feels to me like we have a very large number of binary events in Q4, the vaccine trials being one, the election being another, that could dictate the path for growth versus value. And so in our view at the moment, these binary outcomes call for balance in portfolios. It's about balancing out some of the strength in the winners that we've had this year with more cyclical exposure to try and sort of navigate a path somewhere in the middle of these very binary outcomes. Uh, Hugh, in terms of these scenarios that you just outlined, the different potential catalysts for the growth versus value trade, uh, 
If we do see more appetite for value-oriented stocks, does this mean that Europe has a chance to outperform the U.S. in 2021, given the outsized weighting toward value sectors like banks and energy, for example? Exactly. I think that's fair. Now, the the reliance on um, the banking sector in particular for Europe has come down over the past couple of years. But the relative weight that Europe still holds in sectors such as the banks means that I think you do need to see a bit of a brighter outlook for um, value sectors if Europe is to have a, a much better prospect of outperforming the U.S. Really, for me, when you look across the regional performance so far in 2020, the sector weights explain a very large proportion of that. This is less about how different countries are going about tackling the virus, how different countries across the developed markets are faring in this, the path of their recovery, and much more about their weight to sectors that are more or less impacted by the pandemic. Hugh, thank you very much for joining us today with some thoughts. Hugh Gimberg, Global Market Strategist, JP Morgan Asset Management. The CEOs of Facebook, Alphabet and Twitter will testify before the U.S. Senate today in defense of Section 230, a key federal law that protects tech firms from being liable from user-generated content. The law has come under bipartisan fire in recent years as policymakers grow wary of big tech's ability to curate information. In written statements seen by Reuters, the chief executives will argue the law is essential to free expression on the internet and is the basis for competition between companies. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.